Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and after a one-week hiatus, Back with me today, as she usually is each and every week during the college football season to help answer your most pressing Georgia football questions, of course, is my awesome, can I say awesome? Awesome co-host, Charlie? Is that acceptable? Thanks. Well, you are the star of the show, so I'm trying to kind of just get with the times here. I'm not the star of the show. Once upon a time, there were other stars of the show, but now you have outshined us all, Charlie. And uh, I guess you made it. You made it, Charlie. You survived your, I guess I would say, much loathed biennial trip to Auburn. Was it as bad as you remember it always being? I mean, it was hot. It wasn't that It hot. wasn't. I mean, it was just hot I for like early October. I was surprised that it was not sold out. I mean, it was probably sold out, but it was not full. It was mostly full. There were some sections in the upper level corner. In, well, I guess it was the end zone. Yeah, corner, upper level corner where it was not full. But on both ends. I couldn't see on the end that I was on. Well, but we were sitting with plenty of open space. What section were you in? Like 101 or 102? You can't remember like, that. I didn't even okay. sit in the seat. I sat in the row in front of me because there's no point in being squished together. I mean, I know we were on the same side because I was section 101. So I know we were looking at the other side of the field. Yeah, and the other side of the field had open areas yeah. yes. all across the top Yes, it almost. did. Yes. And it was open on the other end of where we were sitting. Yeah, I tried to look down there. From where I was sitting, I couldn't quite tell. But I, I believe you. I'm sure it's probably the case. What do you chalk that up to? Is that a, a COVID thing or just the fact that Auburn knows they aren't good and they were going to get murdered? I really think COVID has changed the way people do things. Like, I think a lot of instances For example, true. the Arkansas weekend. Yeah. People were tweeting that Athens is back. I went out on Friday night. Me too. It was no, not it was even not, close. Not even close. And, and there were people out, but like compared to a pre-COVID Georgia football like, home weekend, a top ten if home I can, weekend. Yeah, if I can walk into a restaurant at eight o'clock and sit down in a bar, that's yeah, not at normal. a bar seat. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't normal. happen. You usually have to wait like an hour, maybe at least the places I typically go to. If it's a restaurant, you're trying to eat at the bar, and I don't want to eat at a table. Yeah, it's like it's, but that's true. I think that's like people who. Well, maybe like during COVID, they didn't go get to go out as much. Maybe people that don't live in Athens. So when they think, come to Athens, it's, it's more alive than where they live. Right. But I think people have just decided that they would rather stay home 
and are doing things in a different way than they did pre-COVID. I mean, we've had three home games so far, right? Three home games. I don't and know. I guess UAB, it's UAB, but like we've had two SEC teams come to town. One of them, I know Arkansas is a long way, but they don't get to come to Athens very often, so you would think they would want to come to the greatest college town all of America when they don't get to come here very often. South Carolina is an easy drive away for neither well, one of those not games. not even opposing fans. I'm just talking Our about fans, Georgia yeah, fans. Yeah, absolutely. It's like there are, there are people out on those Friday nights before games, but again, nowhere near the level that it usually is pre-COVID. Right. There's not even close. So yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I think you're right in that COVID has changed how people are consuming sports and really just kind of living their lives in general. I think people got comfortable doing different things and they're kind of continuing to do that, which is cool. But it's it's a little bit different. But yeah, it was it was odd to see that that game as big of a game as it was for them. To not, and maybe it wasn't that big of a game because they probably knew they were going to lose, but it's a rivalry game, Deep South's oldest rivalry. We were number two in the country coming in. We were the best team in the country, but we were ranked number two. So you thought more people would be there. It would be like standing room only, but that wasn't necessarily the case. But outside of the football game, was it as bad as you always tell yourself it is? Mm. Like Auburn is fine. Like it's, it's a, it is the worst at SEC College Town. It's the worst college town I've been to, but I mean, it's it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, it's fine. It has a pretty campus, but the campus is nice. Most of the buildings just don't are newer. Have enough restaurants to accommodate. Yeah, everywhere you go, it's eighty thousand people. Yeah, it's like Athens, where you have like take your pick of whatever bar you want, whatever restaurant you want, and like mean, the places get crowded, but they're not as packed because there's plenty of them. In Auburn, there's like two restaurants, maybe. There's like maybe two or three bars you can go to, and it's just everything's jam packed. It's so small, and it's just I don't know. It's a pain. I don't really enjoy it that much. There's like really no hotel options that are that are like remotely reasonably priced there. And I'm used to paying a lot of money for hotels for game day weekends. That's nothing new to me. But for Auburn, it's outrageous. You're playing like six hundred dollars a night for like a Clarion Suites. It's just not even remotely doable. It's just not even remotely reasonable. So yeah, I mean it's not the best trip, but. I I will say like we're fortunate enough to be able to go to these games. I had a good time, at least watching us beat down Auburn once again. But yeah, yeah, I'm glad that we don't have to go back next year. I'll say that. But uh, Charlie, I see. Also, I'm looking here. You've got a new Georgia coffee mug. It looks new, right? Yes, it is new. Where did you get that? From May our I ask? sponsor, Alumni Hall. Alumni Hall, you say? Wow. So Alumni Hall. I mean, I don't. I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't really buy those kind of things. But that looks very nice. Alumni Hall, guys. I'm telling you, if you have any Georgia needs, whether it's gear like I like to buy, whether it's accessories like Charlie here rocking this, that's actually. A, I don't drink coffee, but like I might want to buy that. Just yeah, like, it's a nice size. It's not one of the huge cups, so that it fits in your cup holder. Yeah, it looks and, nice. I like but it. But it holds a good amount of coffee because. Who wants to just drink like a tiny cup of coffee? When well, it's I would like, say who wants to drink coffee, like period. Adult, I'm not a coffee guy. Oh, it's like an not adult security guy. blanket. Are you drinking coffee right now? Yes. Like warm coffee or is that one of those cold brew things? This is cold brew right now. Okay, but you're drinking cold. So you drink cold brew in a coffee mug? Well, I mean, it keeps it hot or cold. Oh, I guess that makes sense. That's how things like that work. Mm. So I, I like that. I will I will give you credit. I think that's a, a pretty sharp looking coffee mug, glass thing, whatever you want to call it. And I'm not surprised you got that Alumni Hall because Alumni Hall is the go-to place for all your Georgia gear and accessory needs. All the cold weather gear, my kind of stuff. I'm not a coffee guy, but I like to wear all the Georgia gear, all the cold weather gear. It's hitting the shelves right now, guys. If you are a student or a veteran, you get a 10% discount on every single purchase. They have the awesome Hall Pass Rewards Program where you get 
credit towards future purchases for every $150 that you spend, you get $10 in future credit. So go ahead today, guys, visit Alumni Hall in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens. If you're coming to Athens this weekend, you wanna stock up on your Georgia gear, just stop in at Alumni Hall on your way to the game, or if it's easier, you can always just visit, visit them at alumnihall.com. All right, Charlie, Alumni Hall, great stuff, but we got a lot of questions to get to today. Where are we kicking things off today? Okay, well, the most popular topic among the Georgia fan base this season, or at least for our listeners, has clearly been the quarterback situation, and that didn't change this past week. What did change, though, is the tone of the questions about Stetson Bennett at the quarterback position. I know you don't really want to No, go I want to talk about whatever the listeners want me to talk about, but we, I just, we've talked so much about the quarterback position, but you're right. I looked at some of those questions. It's a, it's a different vibe on the questions this week. So the questions this week were more positive in regards to Stetson. I agree. Than in the what I saw, period. yeah. So first, Darren says, there's no way to avoid it. <laughs> However, how do you think we'll handle the quarterback rotation with a seemingly healthier Daniels? Darren thinks that Daniels is still the starter, but Stetson is making it tough. Will Kirby rotate like the South Carolina game, start Stetson, or start Daniels? What do you think? What do I think Kirby will do, or what do I think Kirby should do? Will Kirby. What will Kirby do? How about I, I go with both of them? How oh, about that? Okay, sure. Oh, man. Well, I honestly have no idea what Kirby Smart is going to do. I mean, I honestly, I, I know that he loves Stetson Bennett, and he trusts Stetson Bennett. I'll say this. It would not shock me if Kirby Smart, even if JT gets back to 100% or close enough to where he's cleared to play, it would not shock me for Kirby to continue to roll with Stetson Bennett. If you go off past history, right? I mean, seriously, start thinking about it. If things are rolling and you're winning, Kirby Smart does not want to mess with a good thing. He trusts Stetson. He believes in Stetson. A lot of people in the fan base might not. Kirby doesn't really care what you guys think. All he cares about is winning. If he thinks Stetson is going to give him the best chance to win right now, a healthy Stetson Bennett, even if JT's healthy, then or close enough to healthy, I would not be shocked to see Kirby continue to roll with Stetson Bennett. I don't know if that's the direction he will go. I don't know. But if you look at past history, if you look at precedent, it just wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay, now, so let me weave in this next question while you're talking about that. Trey wants to know if you think that the mailman has a permanent, more permanent place in the plans going forward, regardless of JT, because Trey says he has wheels and a respectable arm, similar to the Shockley Green mm-hmm. duo. So do we have like a, a rotation of sorts? Right. Do you agree or disagree? <clears throat> All right, well, here's what I would say about that. Because I think, I mean, and you're right, Darren kind of was alluding to that as well, talking about potential rotation like the South Carolina game. I understand why people might want us to do that. I understand why Kirby might entertain that because they are two different styles. Yeah, they're both technically pocket passers. Stetson's not like a true dual threat guy, but he's enough of a dual threat guy to where you can say their styles are different enough that Stetson might give us a little bit something different with his legs than what JT gives us. JT may be more of a pure pocket passer that's more polished, more accurate down the field, those kind of things. So I understand why you might entertain that idea. However, I personally, this is just me, and I can't speak for Kirby, but me, I'm just not a fan of a two-quarterback system as a principal thing. Like, Charlie, I mean, seriously, think about this, Charlie. When has that really ever worked for a national title team? A true two-quarterback system? It has not. I mean, maybe the closest I can think of is like 2006 Florida with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, a, a freshman Tim Tebow. But I don't even know if that's a, that was a 
rotation. It was just like when they got into like short yard situations, goal line situations, they were bringing Tebow in and signing the battering ram dual threat guy, but he wasn't getting like full series and that kind of thing. So even that I don't think was like a, a true two quarterback system, a rotation like that. And maybe I'm missing something on the way. So guys, feel free. If I'm missing something, it's obvious and you're screaming at the, the, uh, the phone or radio or however you're listening to the podcast right now. If you're screaming at me, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Instagram. Let me know if I'm missing something. But I'm thinking back to the, especially the history of the college playoff. When has a team in recent history won a national title with a two-quarterback system? Off the top of my head, I really can't think of anything other than maybe 2006 Florida. And I think the reason for that is quarterback's just a different position. I know you rotate different spots. and I've heard people ask, well, why can't you do a quarterback? You do other spots. Why not quarterback? And my response to that is quarterback is such like a, a, a there's such a, a mental component to playing that position. And sure, every position has that to a degree, but I think certainly more so is amplified at the quarterback position. And I think the team needs a voice. I think you need a guy. You need that quarterback, that leader on the field that the team rallies around. Because my concern is, and Stetson has done a wonderful job handling this the past year and a half, but potentially when you go with a two-quarterback system, what you open yourself up to is a divided locker room. And I'm not saying that's going to happen because we have a close-knit group of guys with a great job in the skull sessions all offseason long. It's well-documented how well this, this team is, is built and how close they are and how well they get along. All those things are true, but it, these are human beings. They all have opinions. So if you go with a two-system a two quarterback system and you have one of those guys that you know throws interception in a key moment and it really hurts you and then you have one guy that goes out and balls out when he gets his chance what that does is it leads to the potential for these guys to develop opinions oh why is why is Kirby putting this guy in why don't we roll with this guy and that's the kind of internal issue potentially that could derail an otherwise championship type season a championship potential season and I just don't know if you want to start messing around with that and I what I'm saying, guys, this is a very delicate balancing act for Kirby. Whatever he does, whether he goes the two-quarterback system, whether he benches Stetson when JT's clear and ready to go and goes full-time with JT, or whether he continues to roll with Stetson, there are people, whatever he does, that are going to be upset with him. And that, Now, that's why he gets paid the big bucks. That's why he gets paid millions of dollars. He can deal with that. But it's still, it's a very delicate balancing act, especially internally within your locker room. Now, as for who the starter should be, I've said all along that JT Daniels, when healthy, is our starting quarterback, and there not, should not be much of a debate. But Charlie, I, I, I'm not going back on that. Can I say this, though, Charlie? Can I at least say Stetson is making his case to remain as a starting quarterback? I think so. He's at least making a case, and I don't know if it's a strong enough case right now. That's for Kirby, and really Todd Munkin has a big influence on this as well, for them to decide. But he is certainly doing everything he can to make a case and make it really hard for Kirby and Munkin to put him on the bench once JT is clear and ready to go from this lat injury. Now, for me personally, and I'm not there at practice, I'm not in the meeting rooms, I do not have as much information to operate off of as our coaches do. Let's just put that out there. That's just fact. That's straight fact. But for me personally, I still go back to how our offensive numbers just jumped up significantly across the board when JT Daniels became our starter last year, the last four games of the 2020 season, all right? And I've said these before many times, I'll throw them out here one more time. So before JT Daniels, we were averaging 382 yards game on offense. 
Once JT was inserted as our starter the last four games of the year, that jumped to 486 yards per game. It's more than a 100-yard increase. We had 300, three 300-yard passing games with JT last year. We had zero before JT became our starter. JT averaged 10.2 yards per attempt. We were averaging 6.7 yards per attempt before JT became our quarterback last year. We were averaging 29 points per game before JT. After JT, that jumped up to 37.2. Yards per play jumped up from 5.4 to 7.5, more than two yards per play more. That is a massive leap in yards per play and basically efficiency. So last year, the numbers literally across the board went up once JT became our starter. And it's really hard for me to forget about that. It's hard for me to ignore that. And now there are other factors involved as well, but you can't ignore that the biggest change there was the emergence of JT Daniels and inserting him as our starting quarterback. But the more, and I've been thinking about this, guys, as all of you have, I have just been like laser focused on what's going on with the quarterback position. We get a ton of questions about it. Obviously, the quarterback is the most important position on the field. We have championship aspirations. And what happens to the quarterback position could ultimately determine whether or not we win an SEC title or a college football national championship this year. It is a big deal. And I know I'm, I say I'm tired of talking about it and I am because it just gives me a headache, but I understand how important it is. And I do think about this a lot every single day. It doesn't really leave my mind. It's always in the back of my mind at, at the very least. But when I look at it from the perspective of this season, because I'm thinking about, okay, yeah, last year, JT clearly gave us a shot in the arm offensively. But what about this season? Are the numbers all that different? I think Stetson's playing better right now than he did at any point last year. And so I kind of went back and looked at some of the numbers from this year and kind of compared, okay, when Stetson has played this year, when he started games and when JT started games. I threw out the UAB game, which I know that's not fair to Stetson necessarily because that was his most productive game. I mean, he was awesome in that game and hit explosive play after explosive play, five touchdowns, no pitch. It was almost perfect in that game. And I hate to throw that out, but JT has not had a chance to play against a non-Power 5 team. So to kind of level the playing field here, I'm talking about JT's two starts against Power 5 teams. I guess three starts, but I'm also throwing out the Vanderbilt game for JT because let's be real, Vanderbilt is not a Power 5 team. I guess by name only, they're a Power 5 team. He also only played a quarter of that game. So I'm throwing that game out. I'm looking at the Clemson game and the South Carolina game for JT, and I'm looking at the Arkansas and the Auburn games for Stetson. So two SEC games, or two Power 5 games, one SEC, one ACC game for JT, two SEC starts for Stetson Bennett, right? I'm trying to level the playing field as much as I can there and make this. It's not, still, it's not apples to apples, but it's closer that way. It's close enough. And if you look at it, so right now, Stetson Bennett has thrown for 458 yards, if you throw in the Auburn game, the Arkansas game, I'm also for him. I'll throw in the Vanderbilt game because he played the majority of that game. I know JT started it, but Stetson played the majority of that game. So in those three games, he has gone 32 of 47 for 458 yards. JT has thrown the ball more. He's 54 of 71 for 567 yards when you look at the Clemson game and the South Carolina game. So JT has a higher completion percentage right now, 76% to Stetson, 67%. But Stetson Bennett, this is what, what might surprise some people. Because, Charlie, how many times have you heard this narrative that Stetson Bennett cannot push the ball down the field? That our vertical passing game is hampered when Stetson Bennett is our quarterback? All the time. You hear that all the time. That's a common refrain when people are criticizing Stetson Bennett. That, well, he doesn't have the arm to push the ball down the field. JT can do that. I totally disagree with that. If you watch those guys, I honestly, I think Stetson has a stronger arm. He's not as consistently accurate. I think he has as strong, if not a slightly stronger arm than JT. And this idea that we don't push the ball down the field with him... 
This year, he has proven that to not be an accurate statement. Last year, we did not push the ball down the field as much. I mean, again, only 6.7 yards per attempt before JT became our quarterback. JT comes in, it's 10.2 yards per attempt those last four games. Last year, that was true. This year, not really. Right now, Stetson Bennett is averaging 9.3 yards per pass attempt in those games that I listed earlier. And JT, in his two starts, is averaging eight yards per per pass attempt. Not a massive difference there, but this idea that Stetson, like our vertical passing game just doesn't exist with Stetson Bennett, that's not true. We saw that on full display Saturday against Auburn. We also saw against UAB. I know I'm not including UAB in these numbers, but we saw him push the ball really down the field and make some plays, make those big explosive plays in the passing game. So I don't necessarily buy into that as much anymore because I've seen it change this year. Now, points per game, Stetson, 35.5 points per game as a starting quarterback this year. JT, 25. Now, there's some context there because Clemson's defense is the best defense that we have played to this point. And it was the first game of the year. We're still trying to figure out the offense, had some injuries. So there's context there. But again, at the very least, there's not that much of a gap there. Then there's also this. And this is a big, in my opinion, this is a big feather in Stetson's cap. Rushing numbers. JT Daniels has negative 15 rushing yards on the season. That's just not what the guy does. He's functionally mobile, but he's not a guy that's going to do much with his legs. Stetson Bennett is not like Emory Jones. He's not KJ Jefferson, but he's enough of a threat with his legs to really open up our running game. He's got 126 yards rushing, averaging 7.9 yards per attempt. So putting all that together, what I what I will say is that Stetson Bennett is more and more making me a believer. I still need to see him go out and win a game with his arm because I think at some point we're going to have to play someone. Like we're going to play someone that's going to make him do that. They're going to make it. There's going to be someone someone that we play down the road. I don't know who it's going to be, but eventually we'll play someone who does a great job of taking away our run game. And if Stetson Bennett's our quarterback, he's going to have to show that he can beat them with his arm. He's going to have to show that. I have not seen him do that yet. I have seen JT do that. I saw him do that last year. All right. We saw him be inserted as a star against Mississippi State. We could not run the football to save our lives against Mississippi State because they sold out to take away the run. And we had to beat them through the air. And JT was able to do that. A very similar story against Cincinnati. He was not as good against Cincinnati. Their defense was was maybe a little bit better than Mississippi State's. Although Mississippi State had a good defense last year. But in a similar fashion, we were not able to run the football consistently. JT had to win that game with his arm. We've seen JT do that. We have that evidence. We don't have that evidence from Stetson yet. Doesn't mean he can't do it. But for me to go all in on Stetson and say, you know what, just keep the guy as a starter. Let's just go. I'm going all in on it. I need to see him do that. Honestly, I hope that he doesn't have to do that because that that's a scary proposition. Like if, if, if anyone's able to make us that one-dimensional and take away our ground game, that's not what we want. But I, I, I've seen JT be able to do that. I haven't seen that from Stetson. But saying that, I, I at this point, I no longer believe there is a sizable gap between the two quarterbacks. I really don't. I think we are getting stuck on what we saw last year. And it's hard to know that. I, I include myself in that. I've been stuck on that all season at this point. But the thing is, guys, players improve. They get better with more reps. And we're seeing that with Stetson Bennett. He's getting better. He's not the same quarterback he was last year. He's a better version of that quarterback from last year. He's still Stetson Bennett, has a lot of the same qualities, but he's a better version of himself than what he was last year. I think the reality is that we have two SEC caliber starters right now in the quarterback room, and not many teams can say that. You guys, I hope some of you watched that Penn State-Iowa game. 
I thought Penn State was going to win the game. Penn State was going to win the game. They were by two scores. And then Sean Clifford gets hurt. He's out the rest of the game. And they're down to the third string quarterback. And that guy could not complete a forward pass to save his life. And Iowa ends up coming back and they win that football game. If Sean Clifford is still in that game, they win that game probably by two touchdowns. If they had a competent backup, like we have in Stetson Bennett, they still probably win that game by two touchdowns. We are extraordinarily lucky to have a guy like Stetson Bennett have what I think are two SEC quality starters. But to answer the question, it was a long story here, but if I had to, I still think that I would slightly lean JT right now if he's 100% healthy. If he's 100% healthy. I think he's more decisive. I think he's really been in command out there uh, when he's been out there this year. I know he hasn't been out there much, but I've seen him kind of be in command, be confident out there. I think he's more consistently accurate. But Stetson, again, is making a strong case right now. And his legs are really what would make me, if I'm Kirby Smart, if I'm Todd Munkin, that's really what would make me think long and hard about it once JT does get cleared. Because that ability to run the football from the quarterback position, that makes the run game overall that much more effective. Let me give you an example here. Why did Florida go from 11th and 13 in the SEC in rushing offense the past two seasons and jump all the way to first in the SEC this year? What changed? The only thing that really changed is they added a running quarterback to the mix. Having that kind of guy at that position, it's a game changer for a running game. And no, Stetson Bennett's not Emory Jones. He's not that kind of runner. But he's a much more effective runner than JT Daniels, and he certainly adds an element to our run game and makes us more efficient on the ground. Because think about this too, guys. Why did we all of a sudden start to find our running game in the past two weeks? That was my big takeaway from the, from the Arkansas game. We found our running game. Would that just happen magically? I don't think that's the case. I don't think you can discount Stetson Bennett's impact there with his ability to run the football and the fact that defenses at least have to account for that and respect it. So again, long story short here, to answer the question, I understand why you might consider going to a two-quarterback system. On principle, I do not like that. I think you got to pick one guy. Right now, I would still lean JT, but it's Stetson is closing that gap more and more and more with each and every week. I don't think it's crazy if Kirby Smart ends up sticking with Stetson. I don't think it would be insane. I know a lot of people are probably screaming at, at your phones right now listening to this episode. I think Stetson is playing at a really high level right now. I think he's a big reason why our running game is really hard to pick up the past couple weeks. And I just don't think it's crazy. I would, st- I would still go with JT right now, but Stetson is making it close. Well, it's not long story short. Well, I was trying, when I say long story short, I was wrapping up at the end. It was a wow. long story. I was trying wow. to wrap it up yeah, and say, well, yeah. that long story, let's make it real short and wrap I, it up. I think we've been here for a while. But anyway. Charlie, people are asking about it. That was two questions. By the way, that was two questions in one. You're so right. come on. You're right. It's two questions in one. We have a lot to get to today. And I know you're very worried about the injury situation. And I think Guy is with you. He asks, mm-hmm. can we get an injury update, both from this game and how the guys with longer injuries are doing? What have you heard? By the time you guys listen to this, you might have listened to Kirby's press conference. I don't know, but I, I just actually watched his press conference. Um, I listened to it on the way home from work. And uh, some good news coming out of it. It looks like Chris Smith, I was concerned it might be a collarbone because he was in a sling on the sideline against Auburn. You guys saw that if you are watching the game, which I know that you were. And anytime you see one of your starters in a sling, that's concerning to say the least. Dan Jackson did an admirable job coming in and filling his place. But we're a better team with Chris Smith out there. And I was concerned about that. You don't want starters going down, especially on, on a defense that's playing as well as we are right now. You don't want to you want to mess up that that mojo, what we got going on. But it sounds like it kind of just just like popped out of place. Is that dislocation, Charlie? I don't like I don't know. I'm not a medical. I'm not either. Doctor. But so I don't know. I don't want to say it was dislocated. Kirby didn't use that terminology. 
They, what he says, they popped it back into place. And he could have potentially gone back in that game, but he didn't feel like it was strong enough to go back in and he didn't feel confident enough in it. But according to Ron Corson, as Kirby said, Ron is saying that, you know, guys come back from this injury in like a week. So there's a very good chance that he could be playing as early as this week. Let's hope that's the case. Again, I, I like Dan Jackson. I trust him, but like Chris Smith's a starter. We need him out there. Looks like Jamari Salyer, is, he w- could have been able to go in an emergency. He could have gone back out there if we needed him against Auburn. It's a, a slight ankle injury, nothing crazy. I feel hopeful. We'll see how it responds, but it didn't swell up, which is a really good sign. So I think there's a really good chance that he will be able to go this week, which certainly gives us a shot in the arm. That certainly helps there. And I, I think Roger Jones played really well on Saturday, but Jamari Sawyer is our best offensive lineman. We need Jamari Sawyer out there. We're a better offensive line with him out there somewhere, wherever it's going to be on that offensive line. So that looks good there. It looks like some of those running backs or some of the receivers, I should say, are close getting back. Marcus shows me Jack Saint could have gone in emergency was what we were told this week. So there's a good chance I expect him to probably be back. He was close last week. Arian Smith's got a really good chance, according to Kirby. And then you've also got Jermaine Burton, who was kind of dealing with a groin injury, who I think has a chance. We'll see. And it's hard to know. We got to see how these guys, they don't really practice hard on Monday. It's more like a walkthrough, walking, going through film sessions and meetings and that kind of stuff. Tuesdays when we really start getting out there, going full speed. So we'll have a much better idea after Tuesday's practice. But the injury situation is maybe not as dire as I thought it was. Kenny McIntosh, who did not play against Auburn. He made the trip, though. He was there. So it was kind of a game-time decision. Kirby said that he has not pulled his hamstring, but it's tight, and they don't want to pull it. So they're being very cautious with him against Auburn. But he could have played in an emergency. Obviously, we did not need him. There was no emergency against Auburn. So I'm hopeful that he'll be good and ready to go against Kentucky because Kenny McIntosh is a playmaker for us. The guy can absolutely make plays on special teams and for the running back position. That's kind of where we are right now. Yes, I have been worried about the, uh, the injuries, but it seems like we're getting closer and closer to getting healthy. Tyke Smith's another guy. We saw a little bit from him. Still not 100%. We saw him out there a little bit in the dime package against Auburn. Hopefully, he will be getting closer and closer and closer to be able to contribute on a more regular basis. But it looks like we're getting healthier. We're not there yet, but healthier. It's better news than it could have been. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Well, Michael wants to know on a scale of one to 10, how concerned are you about the injuries right now? Well, if you would ask me this question leaving Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday, I would have said about an eight. I was, I wasn't, I won't say freaking out, but yeah, 
I was very concerned because I didn't know what's up with Jamari. You know, what we're going to play a good Kentucky defense. We need guys like that. What's going on with the receiver position? Like, yeah, we're going to get out of here with a win against Auburn, but if somebody's able to take away our run, are we going to have enough guys who out there and make plays in the passing game? These guys don't get back. But it looks like we're not in as dire a situation as I thought that we might have been. So right now, I'm going to go a six here. I'm not. I'm not freaking out. I'm not as concerned as I was coming out of uh, out of the game on Saturday, but. I still, you just don't know. Like some of these injuries, like when they're, when they're like soft tissue injuries, muscle injuries, you just don't know. They can flare up on you at any moment. So like, I'm I'm not feeling great about it until I see these guys out in the field, but I'm not freaking out either. So I said about a six. Okay, this next question comes from Patrick and it's a question about Latavius Greeny's performance. What's your grade on his overall performance this year? Says that he's done really well when they run a right, wide receiver screen to his side. He's flying like... A missile to the ball. Sorry. Did you have what happened there? My brain just stopped making connections for. Yeah, that was a that was a long pause. I was like, did you just Do you have an aneurysm? Question. Uh, I don't know. Like, that was a very choppy question, Charlie. Uh, Latavius Brini's performance. Yes. Okay. Uh, what do I make of? I think flies like a missile to the ball. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't. I, I thought you had an aneurysm there for a second. I, I was just looking at you, and you're just like. Stare at the screen. I'm like. Sometimes the wires get crossed. Yeah, um, or sometimes you just get distracted. Let's just call it what it is. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Latavius Brini, I will like Latavius Brini. Come on, I gotta give this guy some props. He has exceeded every single expectation I've had for him. I, you're right, Patrick. On those screens, he flies the ball like a missile. Absolutely. He did that last year when he got those opportunities late in the season. I felt good about him in run support coming into the year. Where I had questions was, was he going to be able to consistently hold up in coverage against some of those smaller, shiftier, quicker, quicker slot receivers? I had questions. We didn't really see him have to do that last year in his spares playing time. So I just didn't know. Like what I said coming into the season was like, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying I haven't seen him do it. So until I see it, I don't know. But at this point, we've seen the guy do it. And defenses, our offenses have gone after him. Go back to the Clemson game. Late in that game, when Clemson was trying to, to tie the game, they were going after Brini. It was Brini who made the plays in the back of the end zone to hold them to a, to a field goal in that situation. A touchdown there would have made that game a lot tighter. It could have gotten even more interesting than it already was. And Auburn tried something very similar. They were trying to attack Brini in the back of the end zone there right before the half. And that was a huge moment in the game. And he made a play. Now, I know Bo Nix is screaming bloody murder and acting like a little child, but Bo Nix, sorry, man. Like, it was a bang-bang play. Could could an official have called that pass interference? Yeah, I've seen things like that call pass interference, but I've also seen plenty of plays like that, those bang-bang type plays where they go uncalled. It's just a judgment call, and they didn't call it. So I think it could gone either way. I don't think it was as clear-cut as Bo Nix was saying. And by the way, Jordan, did you see those comments? No. You didn't see Bo Nix's comments after the game? Oh, yeah. When he was complaining about the pass interference and saying that, oh, we didn't get that call because it was Georgia. If, if Georgia was the one trying to get the touchdown there, they would have gotten the call. We never get those kind of calls. I'm like, Bo Nix, are you kidding me? Were you not at the game in yeah, State College? I thought that was kind of petty. Are you kidding me? At State College, this is the team. Remember Auburn, Charlie, when they played Penn State, Auburn was the beneficiary of Penn State having being forced to punt on third down by the officials. Yeah. So don't talk to me about Auburn not getting favorable calls. Are you freaking kidding me? What are we talking about, Bo Nix? Like, talk about selective memory. When just a childish punk thing to say, by the way. Like, here's the thing with Bo Nix. Bo Nix 
Uh, he knows that he sucks, and he knows that we know that he sucks, and it's just a defense mechanism at this point. So, sorry, buddy. You suck, and you got murdered. It wasn't like that was like the defining play in the game. Could it made it a little closer to the half? Sure. You were never going to win that football game. It wasn't going to happen. So, just shut up. Um, sorry, that was a little aggressive. I know, but Bo Nix, you guys know. I'm not a Bo Nix kind of guy. Um, but, yeah, going back to the question here, Latavius Breed made a big play there. Teams are attacking him. They're trying him, and he keeps responding. And I'm, I'm not saying he's the best DB on our team, and I think that Tyke Smith, once healthy, is probably a better player there, but it's kind of like Stetson. Latavius Breed is making it really hard for the coaches, even once Tyke Smith gets healthy, gets healthy, to put him into that lineup. Because how do you take a guy like this out of the out of the lineup and out of the starting position when he's consistently making plays when opposing offenses are trying to target him? And he's just responding in a big way. So I think he's been fantastic against the run. I think he's done much better against the pass than any expectations I had. So I think he's done a great job. Okay. Well, I don't know about you. I think I have an idea about how you feel. But I was holding my breath when Jamari Salyer left the yep. game with his injury on Saturday. I was. But then Broderick Jones did a great job coming off the bench and stepping in. So Jay Rake wants to know, is Broderick Jones going to be the new starting left tackle? Well, if Jamari Salyer can't go, then yes. But Jamari Salyer is not going to be on the bench. The only way that Broderick Jones are starting left tackle is if Jamari Salyer's moved inside to guard and then you got Warren Erickson on the bench. That's how that would work. Jamari Sawyer is our best offensive lineman. He's going to be in the starting lineup. If that's not left tackle, it's going to be at right guard or one of the guard positions, and you got Warren Erickson back on the bench. So, I mean, look, I think Broderick Jones is earning more and more playing time. What it's going to come down to is do the coaches think we have a higher ceiling with, with Broderick Jones at left tackle and Jamari Sawyer inside than we do with Jamari Sawyer at left tackle and Warren Erickson inside? It's kind of a, it's weird. They don't play the same position. But it's kind of like a battle between Warren Erickson and Broderick Jones. You understand what I'm saying there, Charlie? Yep. Because it, do the coaches think he's more valuable at left tackle than Warren Erickson is inside a guard? That's what it comes down to. And to this point, the answer has been Warren Erickson in the coach's mind. But they are continuing to play Broderick Jones even when it's not an injury situation. He's getting time with the first team. So they're trying to work this guy in. You can tell they have high expectations for him and they're excited about him and they want to make that move. They're just not quite ready to do it yet. I'm going to... Pump the brakes on this right now because I think Jamari is, from what it sounds like right now, on Monday, we'll see what happens the rest of the week, but it didn't swell up so far. It's a really good sign. I think Jamari will be ready to play against Kentucky. Will it be a full 100%? I don't know, but I think it'll be good enough to go. And I imagine he'll probably play left tackle and then you're going to have Warren Erickson inside. And we might do some rotating at some point, but I don't think the coaches are quite ready to make that move yet. I'm not counting it out at some point this season, but I just don't think they're ready quite yet. But he did play fantastic. I think he's certainly making it a tougher choice for the coaches. All right. Christopher wants to know why Auburn still shows the Fairly sack in their stadium um, on Aaron Murray. He says that he saw it six times on their scoreboard on Saturday. I saw it quite a few times. Definitely just trolling. That's what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, I they, mean they Aaron were, Murray was yeah. calling that game. It was a big game for them in, what, 2013? That was 2013. Eight years yeah. ago. Yeah. I mean, they're still having to look back that far. Remember, we've, got, we've, we've won eight of the last nine. Right. I mean, we, we've dominated the series. It's not even like they call it the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Is it really a rivalry anymore? It's kind of like Georgia Tech. It's like, is it really a rivalry? Like, we just win all the time. I guess it's still that like we hate each other, but I mean, you're not even like competitive right now. You're just really not. Uh, but yeah, they were just trolling Aaron Murray. He was there calling the game. He was in the stadium. So they were clearly trying to troll him, which is kind of annoying. It kind of shows you Auburn is. They're trolling Aaron Murray with clips of a bunch of cheap shots they took on him back in 2013 because those were clearly cheap shots like nowadays Nick Fairley would have thrown out the game for targeting 
but they want to put that up there and put it on repeat on loop over and over and over again. That's just that's Auburn for you, sure. All right. Well, we spent all season to this point building up the defense and showering them with praise, but Art is looking at it with a little bit of a more critical eye. He says that Auburn has dro- dropped a lot of passes by the wide open receivers, and Alabama lost, but their receivers won't drop those passes in Atlanta. Do we need to be concerned about our pass defense? I mean, there were a couple of drops on Saturday. Not a ton. There were a couple. I mean, two or three, maybe. Um, I, I, I'm with you, though, Art. I will say I'm always concerned. I Just as a rule, when it comes to Georgia football, Charlie, you know this, I am always concerned. That's just kind of how I operate. Um, you guys know that, too, if you listen to the show for a while. You know how I work. But I, I don't want to overreact. I I did, like, in the sitting there in the stands watching that game, I was like, man, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like how they're able to throw the ball against us today. This this shouldn't be happening. Leaving the stadium, I still kind of felt that way. But on the drive home, just kind of thinking more about it, I decided I, I don't want to overreact to that. Because it is kind of what I said on the recap episode. Bo Nix is just a different type of quarterback. And we simply had to defend him a little bit different than how we've defended everyone else. And how I think we're going to defend pretty much everyone else, all these other quarterbacks, all these other offenses on our schedule. Because for all his many flaws, and as I've laid out many times, Bo Nix has a multitude of flaws all over the place. But he does do a great job of extending plays, and that puts pressure on defenses, and that can give wide receivers time to find holes in the defense in a way that other teams that we're going to be playing can't really do. The the quarterbacks that we're going to be playing down the road, I know Emory Jones is a dual threat guy. He doesn't create like Bo Nix does. He doesn't extend plays to that level. And and that just gives, it's really hard to hold up in coverage for five, six, seven seconds, guys. It's just really, really hard. At some point, they're going to find a a soft spot in the zone. They're going to be able to break free man coverage on the, on the scramble drill. And they're going to, they're going to be able to make a play in the passing game. That's why I said coming into the game, it's really important to be able to contain Bo Nix. It's one of the keys to the game, one of the big matchups in that game, because that's when he's at his best. And it's just really hard for a defense and pass coverage to hold up that long. So there's that element to it. We had to slow our pass rush down because we want to keep Bo Nix in the pocket as much as we could. We weren't completely successful with that, but we were more successful than most teams have been. So we were less aggressive, be more disciplined in the, in the pass rush. And guys, our pass rush has been a really big part of our pass defense success. I mean, we're, we were number one in the country in passing that's coming into the week. We're still number one. But a big part of that is just the, our ability to pressure the quarterbacks and just make life very difficult on them. So there's that context to it. But I, I do think... If you're looking at our defense and where are their potential holes, I think this is still the obvious vulnerability in our defense. I don't think that we're elite in the back end. I think we're good to really good in the back end. I don't think we're elite. I don't think we have shutdown corners. Kendrick's good. I don't think he's a shutdown type guy. Keely Ringo has that potential, but he's still really young. He's still learning the job. And he's gonna he's getting better with every single passing game. Absolutely. But he's not quite there yet. I love Lewis Seen. Um, is he elite in coverage? No, most safeties aren't elite in coverage. Same thing with Chris Smith. These guys are good, solid, dependable players. They're really good in run support. They do a great job of not blowing coverages back there. We trust these guys. But, I mean, they're safeties. They're, they're playing safety, not cornerback, because they're not elite in coverage. So I do think that's where the vulnerability in our defense is, if we have one. And look, we're, but we're still number one pass defense. Like, like we're, we're looking for those holes, right? Because we expect this defense to be perfect. And we're not perfect. We're like, whoa, what's wrong? But we're still number one in pass defense. We might not be saying the same thing at the end of the season. But I think at least at the, at the end of the regular season, we'll probably still be up there in the top 10-ish at the very least. Because I just don't think we have many teams on our schedule the rest of the way 
they're going to challenge us through the air. Now, if we get to the college football playoff, if we get the SEC title game and potentially face Alabama, you're right. Or it's a different story. That's a different level of passing attack. We haven't seen anything like that. So there, there's a level of concern there for me, certainly, but it's kind of like the injuries. I'm not freaking out yet because we still do have that pass rush ability. We have the ability to affect the quarterback in a lot of different ways. And I just don't think that we're going to be playing teams that have a Bo Nix type guy at quarterback where we just have to really change the way that we approach it defensively in terms of trying to get after the quarterback. I think it's just a, just one of those games where it was just a different animal and to play a little different to back off a little bit in the pass rush and that gave them more time to kind of find those holes in the zone. All right, well, let's think about the Kentucky game this week. It's the second consecutive top 11 matchup in Sanford Stadium and College Game Day will be making its second visit to the Classic City in the last three weeks. Has that ever happened before for any team? Um, definitely not for Georgia. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, like, I don't know off the top of my head. Alabama maybe at some point had like a couple of weeks in a row, but if it has, it's very rare. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Okay. Well, it's another big game this weekend, obviously, with the undefeated Wildcats coming in to Athens, and this may decide the SEC East. Mm -hmm. So, with those kinds of titles at stake, you might imagine we received a lot of questions looking ahead. So, moving on to that game, Josh wants to know which line will have the biggest impact on our success against Kentucky. Josh, what's up, my man? Thanks for the question, buddy. I always appreciate it, big man. Uh, Which line, so offensive line, defensive line, is going to have the biggest impact on our success against Kentucky? I'm going to go defensive line. I think the answer is like probably both of them. They're both going to be big deals here in this game because I think whoever runs the ball better in this game is probably going to have the edge, almost certainly going to have the edge here. But for me, it's very similar to the Arkansas game. Now, they... They're a different kind of offense than Arkansas. Okay, they run like kind of a Sean McVay version of, uh, or at least a version of Sean McVay's offense. William Conan's offense coordinator's guy that's got some ties to Sean McVay in years past. It's obviously not exactly what the Rams run, but it's it's got those elements built into it. So it's different than what Arkansas does with the Kendall Browns, the whole old school Baylor offense. It's a little bit different. But what's similar is that they both these offenses, Arkansas offense and the Kentucky offense, are both built on being able to establish a run game. And they haven't shown the consistent ability to beat teams through the air if they cannot establish the run game. You guys saw what happened against Arkansas. We shut down the run. They could not do anything. I told you guys that was going to be the key to the game, and it, and it kind of played out that way. And I, I do think that Kentucky is more equipped to hurt us through the air. I think Levis, Will Levis, the quarterback, is a better passer than K.J. Jefferson. But still, everything they do, very similar to Arkansas, it's built off establishing the run first. If we make them one-dimensional and Levis has to beat us with his arm consistently— I don't think that's a recipe for success for Kentucky. I really don't. I think they're going to have to find some some success on the ground one way or another. So to me, the defensive line is going to have to step up yet again and make that very difficult for the Kentucky offense. Because if we do that, just like we did against Arkansas, if we're able to stop their ground game, I think we're going to have a very, very good shot. And we should 
flat out win this football game. All right, so that goes into our next question from Jamie. He wants to know, how do you think we match up with Kentucky's rushing attack? Our strength is stopping the run, and their strength is running the ball. So what's your take? Yeah, it's a good question, Jamie. I would say at this point, from what I've seen so far, I would take our defensive front six against any offensive line in America. However, saying that, this Kentucky offensive line is 100% the best offensive line that we have seen this year. It might be the best offensive line we will see all year. They are that good. They are very, very good. They're deep. They have a bunch of veterans. They're experienced, and they're really talented. They have some first-rounders on that offensive line. They are good. It's going to be a challenge, a different kind of challenge than what we've seen to this point this year. We played some decent O-lines. Arkansas is okay, but nothing like this Kentucky offensive line. We know like we feasted on Clemson because that offensive line was garbage. This Kentucky offensive line... It ain't Clemson's offensive line. They are good, guys. Maybe as good as there is in this country. So it's going to be a big challenge. But in terms of matchup, again, I just go back to it. What they do well offensively, what they want to do, plays directly into what we do best defensively, which is stopping the runs. Exactly what you're alluding to here, Jamie. It's just not a great matchup for Kentucky. It's just not. I'm, I'm not saying they're gonna, not going to have any success running the football. They'll probably have more success on the ground against us than any team that we played to this point. I think they're more equipped to do that with their offensive line. They have a couple different weapons they can use. They use a lot of shift and motion, a lot, a lot of eye candy to kind of get your eyes in the wrong place and, and kind of mess up your run fits. They do things really well. They scheme it up really well. Liam Cohn's done a great job with them. But I still, again, go back to it. I'm taking our front six right now against anyone in America, even an offensive line that is as good as Kentucky and a run game that is schemed as well as this Kentucky run game is. It's closer than, we'll, than we have played against anyone else, but I would still give the advantage to our guys. All right, James wants to know, is the Kentucky game the most important game of the season? 100%. Flat out, yes. Okay. And I know people are going to be like, well, what about Florida? I get it. Florida's always important, right? Can't get away from that. But Charlie... How many times has Florida lost this year? Two. They've lost two SEC games already. How many has Kentucky lost? Zero. Zero. Have you looked at Kentucky's schedule the rest of the way? Yes. How many losses you see on that schedule? Zero. Not many. Not many after this game. They got us on the road in Athens. They got at Mississippi State, which could be a potentially sneaky, tough game coming off the game in here, here in Athens. That'd be obviously an emotional game for them. They got Tennessee at home, Vanderbilt on the road, New Mexico State, and then Louisville. If... We don't win this game, Charlie. There is a very realistic chance that Kentucky. Actually, I would say if we if Kentucky beats us, they are the clear favorite to win the SEC East because they would have to lose twice. And we're talking about twice against Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt because that's all they've got left. They have to lose two of those three games. That's extraordinarily unlikely, not impossible, but very unlikely. So what I'm saying here is that if right the way it's set up right now is. If we lose this game, I don't think we make it to Atlanta because I don't think Kentucky's losing twice in those in their last three SEC games. I really don't think there's any way that's going to happen. I mean, look, like again, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. We're going to lose two of those games. I just simply don't see that happening. So if we lose this game, I don't think that we're going to make it to Atlanta. However, if we win this game, and let's say, God forbid, obviously I hope this doesn't happen, but we somehow lose to Florida, well, we're still in the driver's seat to go to Atlanta because all we have to do is beat Missouri, beat Tennessee, because Florida's already lost two games, and we're still going to Atlanta. Lose Kentucky, and we legitimately probably would not make it to Atlanta. And that would obviously be a major blow to our chances to earn a college playoff berth. So yeah, I know it sounds crazy because we're conditioning it's always going to be Florida, and Florida should be better, but it's not the case this year. This is the most important game in the regular season for us. Absolutely. Not just because it's the next game, because if you look at the way it's set up, this is the most important game. All right, Josh wants to know what you say to the part of the fan base that has, quote, 
old Georgia syndrome, in quote. <laughs> I love it. Old says Georgia that syndrome. this group of people are worried that being number one is too much pressure and will eventually fold and ruin this great season. Charlie, let me ask you a question. Would you say that I have old Georgia syndrome? Yes. I think I would self-diagnose myself with old Georgia I syndrome as well. I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm, I, and this, it's weird because I've been saying this all throughout the year. This is a different team, right? How many times have you heard me say that this season? Right. This is a different team. But you still don't believe it until you see it. Well, yeah, because it's, it's trauma, In Charlie. January. It's trauma. Here's what, I, I mean, let me say this. Here's what I think needs to happen. The University of Georgia Athletic Association, they need to set up a fund to put all those Georgia fans through therapy for all those years of trauma. Seriously, I am traumatized, Charlie. All the years of, of being a Georgia fan, it's traumatized me. I have scars that will never heal. I will never get over certain things that have happened as a Georgia fan. I just won't. So I get what you're saying, Josh. Absolutely. And I, so to a degree, I, I certainly at least have some remnants of old Georgia syndrome. I'm guilty as charged. But at the same time, intellectually, as I kind of said on the recap show, I know watching this team, it is a different team. There's a different vibe. We're playing a different level. We've got better receivers. We got, we're deeper receiver. We're just a deeper overall team. We're playing at a level defensively. We've always been really good at, on defense under Kirby Smart, at least after, two, after 2016. But we're playing at a totally different level defensively. We're loaded pretty much up and down the roster. We're razor thin in the secondary right now. But this is a different team. They're a close-knit group. I like the leadership. I love the coaching staff. We finally have the offensive coordinator that I've been dreaming about for years and years. We have two quarterbacks that I think that we can win big with. So yeah, this is a different team. That's what I would say. Guys, I know you're scarred. I know you've gone through some tough times with Georgia fans. I've been right there with you. I know what it feels like, and it's hard for me to forget about those things too. But forget about the past. For the rest of the season, just, just try it, guys. Just do this one because I'm trying to do it myself. Let's do this together. Forget about the past. Let's wipe the slate clean, and let's not think about all those other Georgia teams. Let's not do that. Let's focus on this 2021 team. Let's live in the now, because I think if you do that, you're going to see, and you guys know this, this team is just different. doesn't mean they're perfect. doesn't mean that we can't lose the game. doesn't mean that we're invulnerable, because no one is. Like we're No one's immune to a bad game. We saw it with Alabama against Texas A&M, a game they had no business losing. But this is a different team, so that's kind of what I'd say to that. All right, the next question comes from Cliff. He says that Bama looked soft along the lines of scrimmage and the dogs looked strong against comparable competition. Games are still won and lost in the trenches. What are your thoughts? Comparable? Comparable? Comparable. Wait, I think you can say, I've heard it both ways. Is it comparable. both can I'm be sorry. right? Yes. No, both I, can be right. I just say comparable. Late. Comparable. Com- it, like, yeah, comparable. But the, well, yes, I, I get what because you're saying. The root word is compare. Like, I think comparable is okay, to, right? You can say that. Yes, I just, I'm tired, and I read it the way that I saw it, and I saw I, the Charlie, compare. you do a great job on the show. You are the superstar of the show, but I got to say, like, the past couple of weeks, it's not just, like, one week. You've had some trouble reading questions. We've been recording the shows later than normal, and it's difficult for me. Yeah, because I, is it, I mean, it's essentially past your bedtime at this point. Getting there. It's getting there. So, I'm sorry, Charlie. Maybe we'll try to move it up for you. My bad. That's on me. That's on me. Uh, so, Bama looked soft line of scrimmages. We looked strong against comparable competition. Yeah, Cliff, I agree. And that's one of the things I was talking about early in the season and in the preseason doing our predictions. And it's one of the reasons I didn't pick Alabama to win the SEC West. I picked A&M. And look, A&M is not going to win the West because I don't think Alabama is going to lose again. I thought thought A&M, I told you guys the preseason, one of my picks was I thought A&M would beat Alabama. I did not anticipate A&M losing to, to Arkansas and I did not anticipate them losing to Mississippi State. I got that wrong. But my concern with Alabama, I knew Alabama was really good, and they are really good. 
but they're not as strong in spots as they have been in years past. And I think one of those spots is the defensive line. They're still good. Mathis is good. Will Anderson's good on the defensive line. But they don't have Georgia-level defensive linemen. Like, we used to say, like, here's how the table is a turn, Charlie, with Kirby's recruiting. We used to say, well, you know what's the difference between Georgia and Alabama? We don't have those Alabama-level defensive linemen. Like, back in 2017, that was one of the big differences in that game. Well, now it's, no, Alabama doesn't have Georgia-level defense on them. They don't have that kind of depth. They don't have that kind of dominance up front. We're more physical. We're more dominant. We're just flat-out better up front defense. Offensive line, it might be a draw. Evan Neal is probably the best of uh, of any of those players on either offensive line. But I don't think their head and shoulders above better than us on the offensive line. You could probably could have said, definitely could have said last year. So, yeah, Cliff, I think that we are stronger along the lines of scrimmage. I think we're more physical on the lines of scrimmage, more dominant on the lines of scrimmage, especially on that defensive line of scrimmage. And I do agree, Cliff, games are still won and lost in the trenches. You got to be able to expose the pass plays, but you also got to be able to affect the quarterback and you got to be able to protect the quarterback. And I think we're stronger on both lines of scrimmage right now. I, I agree with you, man. All right. And our final question we're going to circle back to from last week from Reggie. He asked, do you think the Auburn Magic Tricks this past weekend or the Robinson Show at Kentucky will be a bigger test for our junkyard dogs? Awesome. Uh, thank you, Reggie. I really appreciate your patience on us getting this question. I want to get to it last week, but Charlie, it's your fault, Charlie. You had to go, so we couldn't get to the last couple of questions. But I do think this question still applies this week, so we definitely want to get to it because I know Reggie's been a long-time listener. We definitely did not want to leave him hanging. So, uh, yeah, uh, do I think the Auburn magic tricks like Bo Nix's escapability or the Wandale Robinson show at Kentucky provides a bigger test for our junkyard dog defense? Oh, it's a tough one, man. Bo Nix, we had to change the way we approached our defensive game plan, like in terms of like rushing the passer, more discipline, more of a mush rush at times, not twisting and stunning as much, just generally not being as aggressive. Wondell Robinson, though, is he's a problem, man. You get him out in space, and that is an issue. I do think that Kentucky is more balanced. I think Kentucky runs the football better. Chris Rodriguez is really, really good. I still think Bigsby's probably better than him, but he's really good for what they want to do. They have a very, very, very good, very physical offensive line, and their ability to run the football opens up things for like a guy like Wondell Robinson to get some man coverage at times, and if he gets man coverage against almost anybody, he can create separation with his quickness and his speed. You get him out in space, he's an issue, man. He's a problem to deal with, so what's going to be a bigger test? It's a different kind of test, I think Kentucky's going to be the bigger test. I just think they're better up front. Offensive line is important. We just got done saying games can still be won or lost in the trenches. The Kentucky offensive line is better than Auburn's offensive line by a pretty good margin. Similar level running backs. Uh, Will Levis is probably a better passer than Bo Nix. He's like, he's more consistent. He's more trustworthy than Bo Nix. He doesn't have the escapability. He's a dual threat guy. He can certainly run the football, but a little bit in a different way than Bo Nix. He's more power-based. He's not, he doesn't have the kind of escapability, the improvisation that Bo Nix has. So it's a different kind of challenge there. I think Kentucky's just more balanced, and I think they have more ways to hurt you. So I'm going to go Kentucky on this one. It's a good question, though. All right, well, that's it for this week. All right, guys. Well, thank you for the questions. As always, thank you for listening to this show. We always appreciate that. I'll be back on Wednesday with our full Kentucky game preview. And then Charlie, if you can stay awake, will be back with us on Wednesday for our picks of the week. So thanks for listening, guys. Always appreciate that. Hope you guys are having a great week. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>